Well, greetings and salutations. Everybody, welcome to the Best Damn Movie Related Show on the Planet Earth, the John Campion Show. Coming to you from right here on my YouTube channel. I'm, of course, your host, John Campia, and it is an awesome honor and privilege, as it is every day, to have you, our international friends, gather around as we talk about our favorite things in the world, movies, movie news, and all sorts of good things. And guys, it is awesome to have you guys joining me here today. Now, it's Friday. I was supposed to today, you guys will remember, I was supposed to today and for the next few weeks, uh, be joined by Aaron Cummings uh, on Fridays, but something very important. I talked to her last night. Something very important came up with her last night, and I really hope we're able to tell you guys about it soon. Uh, but something very important came up with her yesterday that's going to keep her tied up today. So today is just you and me, an intimate little gathering as we talk about our favorite things in the world, movies, movie news, streaming, TV, all sorts of good stuff. I uh, just want to remind you guys that, uh, and people are asking me to spill what's going on with Aaron. Nope, not going to do that. Uh, anyway, so uh, this afternoon, 3 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, that's Los Angeles time. I believe that's 6 p.m. on the East Coast. We are going to have our weekly uh, The Falcon and the Winter Soldier open spoiler discussion. I hope you guys will come and join us for that. And we're going to save all of our Falcon and Winter Soldier discussion until uh, that uh, episode that we do a little bit later today. So I'm looking forward to that. And of course, today... We had the first trailer for Suicide Squad drop. We're going to talk about that in a little bit. Michael Keaton may not actually be in the upcoming Flash movie, but not all is lost. Don't worry, guys. We'll talk about that in just a bit, too. The Oscars getting in some uh, trouble from different people in the Hollywood industry for not letting people accept Oscars this year via Zoom call. We're going to talk about that. That and a few things more. So here's how today's show is going to go, guys. We're going to spend the first part of the show taking some predetermined topics. And then we're going to go into the second half of the show where we're going to take your live comments and questions. If you want to get in a comment or question to be read on the show, simply go into the description of this video and you'll see a tip link. Just click on it there. Or you could enter it in manually at www.streamelements.com slash movieblogtv slash tip. You'll be getting your comment or question on the show if it's appropriate for the show. And of course, you'll be supporting the show at the same time. And all of us involved here at the John Campion Show, thank you guys very, very much for that support. All right, guys, with all that down, let's get into our main topic. So we're going to get things started with topic number one. And our first main topic today gets submitted to us by Terrence Y, or is that Terrency? No, Terrence Y, who writes, good morning, John. I know you felt that Captain Marvel wasn't the best MCU movie, but I really enjoyed watching it with my daughter who immediately wanted to start wearing all things Captain Marvel. Well, that's what it's all about, dude. Um, I just saw that they released some info about the new movie and that it starts shooting in May. What do you think about the sounds of it? And do you think the sequel can match the success of the first film? Thanks. All right, guys. Thanks a lot for sending that in. And yes, We've known for a while, of course, that there is a Captain Marvel 2 movie coming. The first one came out, became the latest film to break a billion dollars at the box office. You know, here's the funny thing about that number. Because the MCU and, and Disney have done it a number of times now, I think a lot of us have lost grasp on just how huge that is. A billion dollars. And anyway, a Captain Marvel crashed down. No, you're right. To me, Captain Marvel was not the best MCU film. Actually, I don't even have it in the top tier. I, I honestly have it somewhere on the middle. I rank it around Ant-Man 2. You know, I enjoyed Ant-Man 2. I like Ant-Man 2. And I, I like Captain Marvel. But it's it's not like one of the... To me, it's not like the 
the best offerings that the MCU has, but there is a lot of potential with the character that they have moving forward. Well, some information has now come out as apparently they're further ahead and getting ready to shoot this thing that we thought because reports are now there that they're going to start shooting this movie in May. This comes to us from the folks over at Screenwriter who writes, a new production listing reveals that Marvel's Captain Marvel 2, starring Brie Larson, starts shooting in London and Los Angeles on May 31st. The sequel will be directed by Candyman Reboot's 31-year-old uh, Nia DaCosta. Captain Marvel directors Ryan Fleck and Anna Bowden have publicly supported DaCosta's taking over the director's chair from them, and it seems as if things are moving forward swiftly on the sequel. Larson will, of course, return alongside Tayona Paris, who we just saw in uh, WandaVision as Monica Rambeau, and good Canadian girl Iman Vellani as Kamala Khan slash Miss Marvel. Now, they also give us a little bit of details about what to expect. Captain Marvel 2 will be set in the present day. So some people thought they might do the Wonder Woman thing where they might place her in a different time period, but it is going to be set in the present day as opposed to the 1990s setting of the original movie and will take place after the events of Avengers Endgame. So now we've got a little bit more context with that. All right. First things first. This is a little bit further ahead than where I thought they were going to be right now. I did. I honestly didn't think they were going to start shooting this thing till much, much later in the year. Um, so this is kind of a pleasant surprise. I like the sounds that I do like this going to be kind of like the other Marvel properties right now. Falcon and Winter Soldier is set post Endgame. WandaVision is set post Endgame. I like that they're bringing this thing to modern context as well. They're solidifying that again. So I do like that. I think that's a good move. And I'm looking forward to seeing Monica Rambeau and Ms. Marvel in there as well. On the question of, do I think that this can equal the success of the first Captain Marvel? I don't know about that. Because that is a really tall order. You got to remember, like... It's not just that Captain Marvel was a hit, you know, making $700 million, $800 million for a relatively unknown character amongst most average film fans. The thing made a billion bucks. 1.1, if I'm not mistaken, somewhere around there, right? Can we expect it to come out and beat that? I, I don't know. That, again, that's a tall order. The unfortunate thing with the way we movie fans tend to look at this stuff because we're pretty fickle. Like if Captain Marvel 2 comes out and makes $895 million, again, Captain Marvel, okay, not Spider-Man, Captain Marvel. <clears throat> I think a lot of people will look at it and go, oh, well, it took a big drop. Well, I mean, it's still like almost $900 million. So I don't know. I think what its threshold for what it would consider success has to hover around the $800 million range. Like if it makes over $800 million, you got to consider that a success, even if it is a step down from the billion dollar success it was the first time out. If it gets under $800 million, a lot of other films would still consider that a big success. But now you're talking about making like $275, $300, $350 million left in the original. And that might be looked at a little bit negatively. So I, I don't know. But anyway, bottom line here is it is a little bit ahead of where I thought it would be. I am interested in seeing it. I like that they're setting it in present day. And I think there's a lot of upside to this. So yeah, that's that on that. Question is for you guys. What do you think about this news about Captain Marvel? It starts shooting in like two months. They're going to get rolling on this thing. Do you think it can match the success of the original one? Jump down into the comment section below and let us know your thoughts. 
Oh, and by the way, uh, Adriel uh, Lara C sends in a super chat badge in the live chat. Thank you, Adriel. I appreciate that. All right, guys. With that down, let's move into main topic number two, shall we? And our second main topic today gets submitted to us by David H., who writes, Hey, John, Deadline is reporting that once again, the Oscars are facing backlash, this time from actors and directors with their no Zoom rule. They are saying that to accept an award, you have to be present in person. What do you think of this new rule? Do you think they will change it for the foreign films? Thanks. Okay, thanks a lot for saying that in, David. And this is something that's kind of came up, I think, last week. Somebody somebody brought up to me last week when news of this first kind of came out. So, you know they're doing the Oscars this year, which I think is a mistake. I'm not Honestly, I'm not going to pay much attention to the Oscars this year. I think it's a mistake to do the Oscars this year. I think they should have just postponed it till next year, but whatever. But it kind of came out that they're going to have a rule for the Oscars this year that to accept the award, if you win, winners have to actually be present at the ceremony. You have to actually physically be there in order to accept the award. Now, of course, a lot of other award shows like um, Golden Globes, like the Emmys, they did it so you could virtually come in and get, if you won, you can give an acceptance speech. They didn't expect you to be there and they expected you to be there to accept the award. Now, I didn't have a major problem with that. I didn't have a major problem with that initially because to me, it's like, okay, well, a lot of Oscar winners aren't there at the ceremonies and somebody else goes up in their place. You guys know how it goes. You know, some other actor or actress will walk up and say, I'm very honored to accept this award on behalf of so-and-so, whoever won, you know, like on behalf of Marlon Brando or whoever else, right? And, you know, not a big deal. But I think I've changed my mind about that a little bit. Anyway, what's going on here is now is that a number of like people in the industry are starting to speak up and saying that they do not like this rule. Uh, This comes to us from the folks over at Variety who writes, the Oscars have issued a mandate that there will be no Zoom acceptance speeches during this year's telecast, but that decision is causing uh, is causing uh, I always mispronounce it consternation amongst nominees who are worried they won't be able to make the trek to Los Angeles. Studio executives, award strategists, personal publicists, and the stars and filmmakers who are up for awards this year are unhappy with the firm stance taken by the Oscar telecast producers Steven Soderbergh, uh, Jesse Collins, and Stacey Shear. They believe that it is unsafe and impractical to ask nominees to show up in person in the midst of a global pandemic. The Academy is facing major pushback to reconsider its position because multiple nominees will likely be unable to attend. Many live overseas where COVID rates are climbing or are filming movies or TV shows in production hubs and bubbles like in Australia or in the UK. And that comes to us again from Variety. And you know what? Like I said, my initial thoughts on this was that, okay, not a big deal. If you can't be there to accept, just have somebody accept it for you. But it does kind of raise a question. We are in the midst of a global pandemic. We are in the midst of a global pandemic. The idea, look, there is so much about this year. There is so much about this year that is unusual, unprecedented. You got to do things differently. The entire industry has just gone through a year like none other. 
It's been absolutely nuts. I get it. The Oscars don't want to set a precedent that, oh, for future Oscar ceremonies, you can just skip being there. No, no, no. But here's the thing. By doing it, um, by doing it this year and by allowing people to go come in virtually this year is not setting a precedent for future years. Everybody understands that this was an exceptional year. This was a completely exceptional year, unlike any other. And the whole notion that in the midst of a pandemic, you're going to tell some actor, some costume designer, um, some screenwriter, some set designer, some you know composer or whatever, who may be winning their first Academy Award, something they've dreamed about the whole time, but they're in a bubble in a country where maybe the pandemic is a little bit more out of control right now. Or they still don't feel it's safe or wise to gather together in in a, in in a fashion that the Oscars are asking people to do. Then the idea that these people aren't going to be allowed to have their moment to accept the award, to give a thank you speech. Like, listen, every time, every time that an actor gets a role or you start writing a screenplay, everybody already starts imagining their Oscar acceptance speech in their head. And to take that away from people in an era like this just shows how absolutely tone deaf the Academy has become. Now, listen, I still love the the Oscars themselves. The Oscars themselves, I still think, are the best things in the world, blah, blah, blah. Yes, but but what whoever the leadership is at the Academy right now, like... They're just, you know, six degrees of stupid. This is the same academy leadership that a little while ago tried to propose the idea of introducing a new category of best popular film. What the fuck is a popular film? You freaking morons. I I don't even don't even get me started on the best best freaking popular thing fiasco where the entire industry looked at them and laughed in their faces like that. This is the same group. This is the same group. I don't even think they should be having an Oscars, but you're not going to let people zoom in again. And I got it. Listen, let me be completely transparent about this. My initial reaction was big deal. Okay. You can't zoom in, but the more I think about it, yeah, it really is a ridiculous, ridiculous position for them to take because I don't like, like what's going to happen. You know, the director of nomad land, she wins first Oscar. And you're not going to let her give a speech because maybe she doesn't think it's a good idea to be there in person during a pandemic? I don't know. It seems completely ridiculous to me, as are a lot of the decisions the Academy has been making lately. So that's just my point of view. Guys, what do you think? Maybe you see this completely differently. Maybe you look at this and say, yeah, it's still not a big deal. Hey, I thought that at one point too, so I can respect that. Or maybe you've changed your mind like I have and think, no, this is really utterly ridiculous. Every other award ceremony is allowing for this because they understand what's going on in our world right now. Why can't you? And that's just where I'm at right now. Crestoners, where are you at right now? What are your thinking, your thoughts on this? Jump down into the comment section below and leave your thoughts there. All right, let's move on here to main topic number three. And our third main topic today gets submitted to us by Ryan. And Ryan writes... Hey, John and crew, love the show. Thank you so much, Ryan. 
As you may be aware, Michael Keaton is potentially not going to appear in the Flash movie. They are clearly still moving ahead with it, and to my understanding, filming begins in April of 2021. That's just like a month from now. I also heard rumors that George Clooney or Christian Bale could replace Keaton if he is too busy. Any thoughts uh, from the UK? Yeah, don't uh, don't believe that for a second. Don't don't believe for a second that you're going to see. I mean, look, any we live in a world, ladies and gentlemen. We live in a world, brothers and sisters. Again, where Jamie Foxx is coming back as Electro. So anything is possible. If you were to ask me what's more likely, George Clooney making a cameo appearance as Batman in a DC film or Jamie Foxx coming back as Electro, I would have said it's more likely that George Clooney would come back as Batman. However unlikely that is, I would have said that's more unlikely. And yet here we are. Jamie Foxx is coming. So anything is possible. Moving past what is possible into what is probable. I find it very, very, very unlikely that either Christian Bale or George Clooney, who is notoriously never wants to be associated with Batman again, never wants to be associated with Batman again. Uh, and I just can't see Christian Bale pulling pulling a stunt like that. I, it just seems like something Christian Bale would consider beneath him. I'm not saying I agree, but that just seems like something that could be there for him. So, so I know, but let's focus on the Michael Keaton thing for a second. So, Michael Keaton, of course, big splashes of news happened a while ago when it came out that Michael Keaton was going to be appearing in the new Flash room. Now, we all knew that it was probably going to be a very small role. Like, everybody knew that. But still, everybody was still just quite excited about the idea of Michael Keaton popping back up and being in there again. Well, we started hearing whispers a little bit ago that it's not quite a done deal that Michael Keaton may in fact not be in the new Flash film. And it's not that it was fake news. It's just that maybe it got reported as being a little bit more of a done deal than it really is. Anyway, this comes to us from the folks over at Empire, and they wrote the following. Let's be clear right now. Uh, it's not that the actor is turning down the job. That is that is important to note. It's not that the actor is turning down the job of putting the bat suit back on completely more that he's he's more concerned with his own busy schedule and worries about his health in the midst of the ongoing pandemic could get in the way. And then this is what Michael Keaton had to say. I am needing a minute to think about it when he was asked directly. So are you going to be in this flash movie? He said, I'm needing a minute to think about it. Uh, I'm so fortunate and blessed. I got so much going on right now. Keaton says I'm really into work right now. I don't know why, but I am. And so, yeah, I mean, you know, to tell you the truth, Somewhere on my iPad is an iteration of the whole Flash thing that I haven't had time yet to read. I called them and said, I have to be honest with you. I can't look at anything right now. Uh, I'm so deep into this thing I'm doing. Also, I'm prepping a thing that I'm producing and getting ready to go down the road uh, in the fall uh, that I'll be in. And I feel responsible to that. So, yeah, there is that. I'm not being cute and I'm not being coy. If I talked about it, uh, I'll just be, if I talked about it, I'll just be bullshitting you. I don't really know. I have to look at the last draft, to be honest with you. You know, what worries me more than anything is this stuff. Then he goes on to talk about the COVID situation. He says, so what is he worried about? Well, it's COVID. I'm more concerned. 
I keep my eye uh, more on the COVID situation in the UK than anything. That will determine everything. And so why I'm living outside of the city here on a 17 acres, staying away from everybody because the COVID thing has got me really concerned. So that's my first thing about all projects. I look at it and I go, is this thing going to kill me? <laughs> Literally. And you know, if it doesn't, then we talk. So the first thing to note here about the whole Michael Keaton situation is it's not that they're saying or that he's saying he's not doing it. He's not saying he's not doing it. I've heard, I saw some places saying Michael Keaton not in the flash and that's not necessarily true. He might be, but there are two big obstacles as far as Michael Keaton is concerned. Uh, Number one is of course the fact that he's saying I've got a lot of other things going on. I've got a number of things I'm supposed to be in. I've got this project that I'm responsible for that I'm producing and I'm starring in and I'm trying to get this thing all ramped up. And on top of all of that, I don't know that I feel completely comfortable with their COVID protocols. And let's face it, Michael Keaton, he's not 18 years old anymore. You know, he's not even 40 years old anymore. He is in a higher risk group when it comes to COVID. Like if he gets COVID, it's even more dangerous than if the average person gets COVID. So he is being very smart and wise and looking at that. At the end of the day, at the end of the day, I think one of the things that we can take away from this, because they are planning to start shooting this thing in like less than a month. I think they start production very soon from everything that I understand. I could be wrong about that, but I think I heard the same thing that they are supposed to start shooting this thing in April. What this really tells us is just how small Michael Keaton's role was going to be. Like if they start shooting this thing in like a month and they still don't know 100% sure know if Michael Keaton's even going to be there, well then how big could his role really be? Right. If it was big and significant, they would have had this lockdown, signed, sealed, deliver a long time ago. So either way, it's probably going to be a small thing. Look, at the end of the day, I think it is safe to say, like, is there anybody in the live chat that wouldn't like to see Michael Keaton appear in this thing? Like, we're not saying make him the star of the movie, but is there anybody that wouldn't at least get a kick out of seeing Michael Keaton? I don't care if it's in a bat suit or not, but playing, you know, Bruce Wayne, Batman again, is there anybody who wouldn't get a kick out of that? I think we'd all get, at the very minimum, get a kick out. I don't think, I have yet personally talked to one person who goes, I don't want to see Michael Keaton in that. I mean, I'm sure there are some people out there that feel that way, I'm sure, but I've never met any of them. So I think it would be great if we do. But if he doesn't, and nobody is saying he won't, but if he doesn't appear in it, It's really not going to affect the Flash movie that much because it's clear that whatever his role was going to be, it was going to be significantly small. It was probably going to be very, very small. One, maybe two scenes. And they could probably work something else uh, out around that. So we'll keep our fingers crossed that he'll be able to pop up in it. But if he doesn't, it's not the end of the world for the Flash. They'll be able to move forward. And with uh, Andy Muschietti, hopefully make a really great Flash movie. Guys, question is, what do you think about this? Are you looking forward to seeing Michael Keaton there? Does it affect your anticipation of The Flash if he's not there, even though his role is going to be pretty small anyway? Jump on down into the comments section below and let us know your thoughts. All right, guys. With that down, let's move into main topic number four. And our fourth main topic today gets submitted to us by Oscar Morell, who writes, John. 
They just put out the first suicide, the first trailer for the new James Gunn Suicide Squad. This is why the show started a little bit late today, guys. For those of you who don't know, uh, the John Campbell Show usually starts at 10 a.m. Pacific Standard Time. Today we started at 10.10 a.m. We started 10 minutes late because, you know, a brand new trailer dropped. Anyway, uh, let's get over to that. Uh, the new James Gunn Suicide Squad, and it's awesome. King Shark is my favorite. I could watch a whole movie of just him. Harley Quinn seems my probably meant more, more psycho than ever. And even Starro makes an appearance. That is the thing that really caught me off guard. Starro makes an appearance, which is insane. As you can probably tell, I really loved it. And I wanted to know your thoughts. Does it live up to what you were expecting? Thanks and have a great day. All right. Thanks a lot for saying that in Oscar. And yes, we have been waiting ever so patiently. We have been waiting for the first Suicide Squad trailer. Now, look, I was initially, when they first announced that James Gunn was going to be doing Suicide Squad, I was stoked because I am a big fan of James Gunn as a filmmaker. Everything from his smaller stuff, his mid-level stuff like um, Slither. Slither is still my favorite James Gunn movie. If you guys have not seen Slither, uh, you absolutely, absolutely must. It's fantastic it is beyond fantastic i love slither if you haven't seen it make sure you go check it out then of course what he did with guardians of the galaxy i didn't I, i'm not in love with guardians of the galaxy 2 i'll admit i'm not in love with, i enjoyed it i'm not in love with it like i was the first one but james gunn to me is such a unique filmmaker i just get very excited about whatever it is he's directing and when we heard that he was going to be doing the suicide squad while that is not the movie I thought he would do with Warner Brothers. It is probably the perfect movie for him to do at Warner Brothers. It's probably the perfect movie for him to do at Warner Brothers. Anyway, so I was very excited about that. And then DC Fandom came along and we got that kind of little sizzle reel about it. And it, it was just completely bonkers. It was bonkers. I loved it. So we've been waiting very anxiously for a trailer today. Finally, the trailer drops. And I'll, I will I will only speak for myself. The trailer was everything that I wanted it to be. It was everything I wanted to see in a James Gunn Suicide Squad trailer. Now, look, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying it's the best trailer all year. I'm not saying it's as good as the Kong versus Godzilla trailer, which I think is the best trailer I've seen since the Logan trailer. But this was a really good trailer. And I've got to agree with you, dude. The King Shark stuff. The King Shark stuff, and by the way, uh, Fang Blaze Seven sends in a super chat badge in the live chat. Thanks, Fang Blaze. Um, the King Shark stuff in the trailer, I ate up. Now, first thing to mention about King Shark, King Shark did not look great. Can let's let's just call it what it is. Let's just be honest. I thought the trailer was awesome, but let's not pretend that every detail about it was awesome. I thought they could have done a better job with the look of King Shark. He didn't, he looked a little, what's the best way for me to put it? He looked a little 2014 visual effects. You know, not terrible, but certainly not up to today's standards. You know what I mean? But moving past the look of King Shark, I thought it was great. And I don't know, was that Sylvester Stallone doing the voice of King Shark, by the way? Was that Stallone? Do you guys in the live chat know if that was Stallone? Uh Co-Jeff is saying King Shark is Stallone. There, there you go. Uh, and and so, so Let's Go is also saying, yeah, so you guys in the live chat are saying, yes, that was Stallone. Yeah, so that was Stallone doing it. And the moment he, you just see that guy standing there and you hear King Shark's voice going, 
nom nom, and he picks him up and he starts to murder a guy by eating him alive. I'm like loving it. And there's that scene with King Shark where you just kind of see the silhouette and he picks up the guy and he rips his body in half and you see his ribs and his intestines flying out. That was good. The whole thing about being in the lecture setting, any questions and Shark's like, oh, I, I, I look, I unabashedly, I don't care what you think. I thought King Shark was great in it. Uh, and you're right. Harley Quinn felt more Harley Quinnish than uh, I, I like Margot Robbie as Harley Quinn very much. This was the most Harley Quinn-ish that Harley Quinn uh, has ever felt to me. Uh, I just liked it. I even laughed a lot. Like I don't think, and by the way, Colby Sullivan sends in a super chat badge in the live chat. Thanks, Colby. I don't think that John Cena, I think he's very good in supporting roles. I think he's got very good natural comedic timing. He's obviously not the strongest thespian. And I don't know if he can carry his own show because they're doing the Peacekeeper show. And I don't know if he's a good enough thespian to carry it on his own. But in supporting roles, I really like him. And I even like that line about if this whole beach was covered in dicks and they say, eat those dicks for liberty, I would do it no problem. I've, I got to admit, I laughed. I laughed pretty hard at that. And then Starro arrives. <laughs> and then Starro arrives which I thought was just killer. I could not believe they put Starro in it. I could not believe they put him in there like at all. I never would have believed that. But then again, it is James Gunn. So of course, James Gunn is going to put Starro in it. By the way, Scott Logan sends a super chat badge. Thank you for that, Scott. Um, I, I I mean, that just, and then when the, the guy on the uh, controller was going like, it's a freaking kaiju. I was like, okay, yeah, that's it. This thing's going to be completely bonkers. Now, the one thing that I wish they did um, with this trailer, the one little thing that I wish they did was I wished they gave us a little bit more of an idea about, okay, just, just, just basic, just the basics. What's the movie about? Like we understand, the we already know what the Suicide Squad is. So we got the Suicide Squad, they got to go on a mission. Give us a little idea, but I guess maybe you can make an argument that they did give us a little bit of an idea by showing us Starro at all. In the first place. So is Starro, was that just a one-time monster they got to fight quick and then they move on to something else? Is Starro the actual, you know, antagonist of the film? You know, he goes around world to world using little starfish to take over civilizations. Is that what they're going to do here? That would be kind of fun if they did. Or is there a different big bad guy? So, I, I mean, I don't know. Lots of things, lots of questions to answer, but it was just a first trailer. It was just a first trailer. And so, but for me personally, listen, like a lot of James Gunn stuff, I looked at this trailer and I can instantly tell this won't be for everybody. I mean, that's clear, right? Like we all know that this is obviously not going to be for everybody. Not everybody is going to eat this up and, and love, you know, whatever this thing is. Um, so, and, and that's fine. It's not going to be for everyone. But for me, all I can say is that I thought it was completely killer. I thought it was completely killer. I loved it. I ate it up. I cannot wait to see more. Question is for you guys. What did you guys think of this first trailer for James Gunn's Suicide Squad? Jump on down into the comment section below and let us know your thoughts. Okay, guys, with all that down and out of the way, let's now move on and start taking your live comments and questions. We've fallen behind a little bit because we've had a lot of questions coming in the last couple of days, so we're probably a good 
24, 30. We're going to start with some questions here that probably came in a good 24 to 36 hours ago. And we're going to go for the rest of the next hour and a half and try to get caught up on as many of these as we can. So let's not waste any time and jump on over into it. We're going to get things going here, starting with Willow, who writes, Speaking of Lion King, have you heard the theory that Simba and Nala are related since their mothers are from the same pride and the only males are Mufasa and Scar? Lionesses do sometimes mate with males outside of the pride, so that doesn't have to be the case. Yeah, see, I don't know. I just always assume they were in some way related. I don't know enough about wildlife. I, I mean, I do watch a lot of David Attenborough uh, wildlife videos on YouTube. Like, I shouldn't even admit how how often I go down a YouTube rabbit hole of watching David Attenborough, you know, kind of uh, uh, nature stuff. I watch a lot. And a lot of lion stuff, too. But I, I don't know. But I just kind of always, um, I always kind of assumed they were in some way, shape, or form related. So, yeah, there's that, Willow. All right, next up, uh, Cutter Hale writes, Hey, John, hope you're doing well. I am doing well, thank you. Um are you seeing nobody this weekend? I've got my tickets to see nobody tonight. Anyway, uh, you're going to go see nobody this weekend. Free Guy and Hitman's Bodyguard 2 comes out a week apart in August. Could this hurt both movies? I don't think so. Uh, I know Ryan Reynolds is in both and just wanted your thoughts. Cheers and bring on the filthy. Yeah, I'm going to go see Ann and I have our tickets to go see nobody tonight. I was mentioning this on the show yesterday, but um, the good folks over at Universal they got a hold of me two weeks ago and they asked me if I wanted to come to a private screening of nobody in a drive-in environment on the universal lot. And they offered me to like reenact some of the stunts in the movie with the, the movie stunt team for nobody. And I turned it down. And the reason I turned it down and I, I told the rep this, the reason I turned it down is said, I said to them, look, I am very excited to see this movie and I don't want my first viewing drive-ins are great and everything, but I don't want my first viewing experience to be in a subpar image projection. I want to see this in a proper movie theater. So I said, I appreciate the offer, but I'm going to pass only because I'm very excited about this movie and I want my first viewing experience to be in a proper movie theater. And they were like, hey, cool. We're just happy you're excited to see it. And I'm like, I'm definitely excited to see it. So yeah, Ann and I, we are going to go watch this tonight and I'm very, very excited. As far as like Hitman's Bodyguard 2 and Free Guy, let's be honest, these are not like mega hit movies. And opening one week apart, I think is fine, particularly in today's environment. So I think they'll be fine. I don't think they're going to be um, badly affected at all. I don't think they'll be badly affected. All right, next up, uh, BH writes, uh, part one of two. Hey, John, I discovered your YouTube channel when your epic meltdown of Collider went viral. Uh, I came for the epic meltdown and ended up staying for the amazing TV and movie content. I'm an aspiring filmmaker and wanted to get advice on learning... Uh, more on filmmaking and specifically directing. I would really appreciate your recommendation in terms of online classes or resources. I've briefly started looking at film schools, but I don't know how feasible it is based on price. Thanks and bring on the filthy. All right. Thanks a lot for saying that in, man. And listen, one of the things I remember I decided I wanted to get more of a, a better idea about what like real directors I've directed some stuff. I'm not a real director. I, like, <laughs> I'll just admit, I'm not a real director. I've directed a few things, but you know, I play guitar. I'm not a guitarist. You know what I mean? I I'm, I'm pretty good 
for a dude who just picks up a guitar and plays, but I'm not a guitarist, you know, and uh, I am not a director. I play director sometimes. And I remember hearing Quentin Tarantino once mention this film program. This it's called a two day film school. That's done by this guy called Dove S.S. Simmons, D.O.V. Dove S.S. Simmons. And I thought, well, this sounds interesting. And so I signed up and I went down to Hollywood and I, I took this two day uh, in. And I did it live. I did. I took the in-person film course. And it's kind of funny. You know, who I got partnered up with. Let me just see if I can uh, find this. So um I'm a big fat Greek winning IB. So I got partnered up with when I was there. So we did like little work group breakouts and everything too. And I got partnered up with, if you guys remember my big fat Greek wedding, uh, the guy who plays her father in my big fat Greek wedding, his name's uh, Michael Constantine. Michael Constantine is his name. And I actually got partnered up with Michael Constantine, who was there uh, taking the film class as well. And I, and I ended up having lunch with him that day. This dude, by the way, this dude was awesome. I really enjoyed talking to this guy. Anyway, uh, that being said, um, and it was really good. I mean, look, don't overestimate what you'll get out of it because it is literally just two days, but the amount of information they just pack in in general form, and especially for somebody like you who is thinking about getting into this, a two-day film course like this would be great. Now, the good news is you can take it digitally. And by the way, I am in no way, shape, or form associated with this. I'm just saying I took this one thing once. I found it very, very enlightening. Uh, it gave me a really good perspective on a lot of different things. And, you know, if you're worried about actually making a serious investment about film school or whatever, why not take something smaller like this? It's a smaller time commitment, and it'll really let you know if you really do get a taste for this. And then maybe you look at investing more seriously into that as a career moving forward. But again, it's called the Two-Day Film School by Dove S.S. Simmons. You can take it digitally. I would recommend ju just jump online, Google search for it. I had a pretty fun experience with it. So that would be, and, and it's, you know, minimum time commitment and not really expensive. So give it a shot and see if it really whets your appetite. Anyway, good luck with that, man. I hope it goes well for you. Okay, next up, we've got, uh, that was BH. Now we move on to not Sam Wilson who writes, one of two. Hey, John, I have to make a case for Disney Plus premiere. I have a family of five and our nearest theater is, in, is one and a half hours away. That's brutal. Uh, everyone wanted to see Raya the Last Dragon, but if we went to the theater for it, it would have been travel, which would have been three, and, three hours of round trip. Uh, travel plus $75 for tickets plus dinner and or snacks. Uh, we're looking at over $200 for a family night out. Well, depending on how you want to do your family night, it could be significantly cheaper than that. But we're looking at $200 for a family night out or... $30 for the same movie at home. The whole family is all in on Star Wars and MCU, so Black Widow is, is a much must-watch. I will have to seriously consider saving money with the Disney Plus option when it drops. And listen, we were talking about this on the show yesterday. Now, look, different people have different circumstances, and every circumstances will have a more ideal um, context, a more ideal context, right? For somebody like me, who I do live close to movie theaters. I'm very lucky that way. I live relatively close to movie theaters, not an hour and a half away. Um, and to me, the idea... All right, we're going to see if this starts working again. We'll find out in a second. I think we're up and running again. 
Are we back? Are we back? Uh, my apologies. I think we are back now. My apologies, guys. Uh, it looks like what happened was we had a complete and utter... Um, we're back. Okay, good. We're back. We had... Uh, I, I've been using OBS uh, as... Now, I normally, for years, I've used Wirecast as my live streaming platform. The last couple of years, or the last little while... I've been using, I made a switch over to OBS to try some things out and it's been going mostly well, but we just, we just had OBS completely freeze. So my apologies for that guys. We just had OBS freeze, but it appears that we are now back and up and running again. So, uh, let's keep things going. Oh, anyway, we were talking about, um, we were talking about not Sam Wilson and his question that he had about, um, about, you know, going to the theaters and, and all that kind of stuff. And when is it a good idea? When is it not, you know, for somebody like me, you know, that when, if I'm going to pay $30 for, for a movie, I want the full movie going experience. I want to have a night out with my friends. I want to get together with other people. I want to go out to the big screen. I want to do you know, all that kind of stuff. I want, I want the full movie going experience. I don't want to pay $30 and still just sit on my ass at home on the same TV in the same spot where I just watch YouTube videos by myself. I want to have a night out and experience, but there are definitely going to be people in different circumstances, Sam, where like for you, like number one, you live an hour and a half away. I mean that, that right there is a deal breaker for most movies living an hour and a half away. Uh, for that is an absolute deal breaker. So my, yeah, my heart goes out to you on that one. So for somebody like you in the circumstances that you're in, yeah, it totally makes sense. It totally makes sense that you would want to take advantage of that and watch it there. Like me, no way. I'm going to a movie theater to watch this movie the way it was meant to be watched. Like when Godzilla versus Kong comes out, I got my tickets. I'm going to go see that thing in the damn theater. I ain't going to sit here and watch it at home. I'm going to see Godzilla versus Kong on the big screen. But again, different people have different circumstances. And for you, Sam, that clearly, clearly for you, that makes a lot of sense, especially that hour and a half living away from a theater thing. Anyway, I hope you enjoy yourself, man. I hope you have a good time watching it wherever you end up watching it. All right, next up. Um, let's see here. Dan Townsend writes, hey, John, one of two. I saw you mentioned Aragon in Wednesday's show, and I felt I would chime in. For me, it was such a shame that this movie was so terrible. It was a shame that it was so terrible. Uh, the series was my favorite as a kid, and I really think this would make a fantastic set of films. Uh, do you think there would ever be enough demand for it to get a reboot? Thanks, and bring on the filthy. Yeah, we talked about that. You know, Aragon was such a popular series of books about the dragon, and... You know, they, there was a lot of excitement when they came out with the first movie. You know, Jeremy Irons was in it. Jaimon Hansu was in it. John Malkovich was in it. You know, you definitely amassed a good amount of talent and cast. But the movie was terrible. The movie was absolutely terrible. Like, you know, in Charles Barkley, terrible, terrible. Uh, it was absolutely awful. And even though they ended it on a cliffhanger that there was going to lead and, you know, John Malkovich, the bad guy revealing he has his own dragon. And that was supposed to be the teaser into the next film, but it did so badly and was so badly received. They never did it. Do I think they will ever take another shot at it? Honestly, no. Um, I don't know if it's because the books just didn't have the staying power or if the movie was so bad, it completely soiled the earth on it. 
But I don't know about you guys, but I have not sensed any desire from the audience at large. I, I've never sensed any sort of big momentum from people wanting them to take another shot at Aragon. I mean, maybe it could be good, but I just haven't sensed it. I haven't seen it myself. So my guess, Dan, my guess, just a guess, my guess is they won't do it, at least not in the near future, not in the next five to 10 years, but who knows? Anything is possible. Keep your fingers crossed, man. All right, next up, we've got uh, Teddy D who writes, one of two. Hey, John, NBC's Debris series reintroduced me to Jonathan Tucker and reminded me of my favorite series canceled after only one season. Black Donnelly's was a show that unfortunately caught in between peak crime dramas like Sopranos and Breaking Bad. It was a who's who of recognizable C-listers, Tucker, Olivia Wilde, Tom Gurry, a.k.a. Smalls from Sandlot, uh, Chris Bauer, James Dale, Kirk uh, Acevedo, I'm not not familiar with the name, and produced by award-winning Canadian Paul Haggis, do you have a show you loved that was canceled too soon? Well, first of all, I like John Tucker because I thought, even though I wasn't super in love with the show Kingdom, the MMA show Kingdom, not the not the Korean zombie show, but the mixed martial arts show Kingdom, I knew him from, I thought he was really good in that. I thought he was really good in that. Can I just say about Debris? I really like the concept of the show and I quite enjoyed episode one. But I just watched the latest episode, which I think is episode four. I think that's the latest one. I am not in love with this show, Debris, Debris anymore. Like, there doesn't seem to be any rhyme or reason. I don't know for any of you. Like, just let me know. Do any of you guys watch Debris? Have you guys been watching this show at all? That's come out. A really, really cool concept. But it just seems to me like, I don't know. It There's no construct of logic there like a bunch of you guys are saying no none of you have even checked it out so the basic premise of the show is really interesting it was like i think it was two years ago i I can't remember what the general principle it says they give you this opening text two years ago an alien ship was spotted by nasar long-range telescopes and that it was it had broken up and its debris debris was heading towards earth so what the show is basically about is All this debris from this alien spacecraft, which is broken into a thousand pieces, has started landing in various places on Earth. And every piece does something practically magical. Like one piece of debris will make you pass through walls. Another piece of debris will will bring back long lost dead loved ones. Uh, Another piece of debris will do something completely different, like make it rain or, or whatever. And so... The show follows these two agents. It's their job to go around and find all these pieces of debris from this alien ship and solve whatever mystery it it creates. It's a good premise for a show. It's a good premise for a show. I'm just finding it not being put together very well. I'm going to give it one or two more episodes and then I'll probably uh, jump ship. Anyway, as far as shows that I really like that only got one season... Um, let me bring it up. I've, I've talked about this before. It is, uh, there it is. It's, it's a show starring Jason Isaacs, uh, who of course plays Malfoy's dad in Harry Potter. And the name of the show is, uh, awake. Uh, You guys have heard me talk about this show before. Awake is really great. It's fantastic. A cop played by Jason Isaac gets in a car accident with his wife and son and his wife dies and his son lives. 
he goes to sleep that night and wakes up in a completely different reality where his wife lived and his son died. And then when he goes to sleep and wakes back up, he's back in the other reality where his wife died and his son lives. And every time he goes to sleep, he jumps back and forth between those two different realities. One reality where his son died, the other reality where his wife died. It's really fascinating. It's really, really fascinating. I completely love it. I think it's great. Um, So, and it only got one season. It got done. Oh gosh. How do I, it got done. It got to the end of the first season and had this big, massive cliffhanger like Jason Isaac is about to find out what is causing him to go back and forth between these two different realities every day, and then the show didn't get picked up for a second season. It got canceled. I'm like, ah, damn you, television gods. I was so mad. It was really good. I hope someday somebody else picks up on this concept and does something with it because I think it would be really great. Anyway, okay, let's let's move on here. Next up, um, where are we at? JR writes, one of two. Any interest in picking up the Kingdom Hearts series now that the entirety is available on PC? Sometimes confusing, it genuinely has a deep, dark, and fulfilling story that, that flies over a lot of people's heads because of the upbeat Disney tone. Uh, no, um... Sorry, it's no Last of Us 2, but I don't want anything that deep when I'm fighting next to a fucking flaming Simba. In all honesty, it's my favorite video game franchise, and I pray those rumors about an Unreal Engine CG animated series coming to Disney Plus are true. Well, um, I, you know, I recently picked up uh, Microsoft Game Pass. So I don't know. Do you guys know if the Kingdom Hearts games are available on Microsoft Game Pass? Because I just recently picked up Game Pass so I could play because I don't have an Xbox. I have no intention of buying an Xbox. I'm going to get a PlayStation 5 um, eventually, (laughs) you know, someday when they actually become available. I'm going to pick up PlayStation 5. Uh, Dat Boy, Dave Cole, Mason, uh, Mert. Tanara are all saying that yes okay so yeah you know what I've heard a lot of you guys talking about the Kingdom Hearts games for a long time I've never played them I know next to nothing about them but I've had a lot of people recommend that I try it so if it's available on Game Pass I will probably yeah I'll probably go give it a shot at some point man I probably will thanks for the recommendation on that Jay all right next up Charles Richardson writes uh in this hypersensitive cancel culture society do you think it's right do you think it's right I meant R-I-G-H-D. Do you think it's right that it restricts the freedom of artists knowing that everything they make will be scrutinized, especially in comedy? People will target actors or directors on any joke that may come across as offensive. Well, I mean, I'll be honest with you guys. I, I'm a little bit torn on that issue, to be honest with you. I think people on both sides of this debate look at it uh, a little too black and white. I think it's a little bit more nuanced because, look, Let's not pretend that you just can't make a joke about anything. Look at Dave Chappelle. Uh, Look at Tosh, uh, Daniel Tosh. You know, these guys can make some, but they know how to make their jokes. They know how to make their jokes in such a way that, like, it feels like they're laughing with, not at, it feels like they're laughing with the group or person or whatever that they're making the joke about. 
right? Daniel, because like Daniel Tosh, if you don't know Daniel Tosh, he's a really good stand-up comedian. And I used to love his show Tosh.0. Used to love his show Tosh.0. Anyway, would say like the most unbelievable crazy things like uh, that on certain levels could be considered extremely, you know, misogynistic or homophobic or whatever. But he always did the jokes in such a way that it felt like he was laughing with them instead of at them. And yeah, it would still rub some people the wrong way. Look, any joke you ever tell is going to anything you ever say is going to rub some people the wrong way. Like I could say, I love puppies. And there's going to be some people that are out there like, fuck you, cats rule. You know, I mean, no matter what you say, by the way, cats are spawn. They're sperm cells of the devil. I hate cats. Uh, Anyway, don't say I got a couple of friends who are like, actually, Aaron, Aaron Cummings is a massive cat cat person. She doesn't like it when I say that, but I hate cats. Anyway, so um, you can't say anything without rubbing some people the wrong way. So that's not the question. The question isn't that you're going to offend somebody. The question is, are you an asshole? I mean, that that becomes the question. Are you an asshole? Because, listen, there have been times in comedians, things that have re- literally done, done comedy that the whole goal of it was to degrade a group of people. It wasn't funny. It wasn't let's laugh together. It wasn't let, let me laugh with you. It was we're going to degrade this group of people and just laugh at them. You get some comedians like David Chappelle, Tosh, and others who know how to do it in such a way that is still makes you feel like you're all laughing together. I mean, I don't know. I'm not going to pretend to be an expert on it because I'm not. I am not. But I don't think it's either. I don't believe either side that there are two extremes, that there are only two options. Number one, be complete assholes and never care if you're really, really hurting people in your comedy. Or number two, don't joke about anything because you can't laugh at anything. I don't think those are the only two options on the table. And I reject this notion that it's got to be either the one extreme or the other. I believe there is a lot. And I think guys like Tosh, I believe guys like Chappelle are great examples that you can find a way to to be there in the middle of both. I don't know. Again, I'm no expert on stand-up comedy. So I'm just giving you my random armchair quarterback kind of thoughts on it. And by the way, my thoughts on this might be different four months from now. I don't know. But uh, yeah, I don't think the I, I think on the one hand, you know, there are some comedians that just made a living off of degrading people. And that's not cool. There are some comedians that are extremely edgy and are able to get away with it. So, I I mean, I don't know. I think it's more nuanced. I think it is more nuanced than people on either side of that debate want to admit. But anyway, that's just me saying, I don't know. Who knows? Let's see how it shakes out. All right. Next up, uh, War Doctor 10 writes, hey, John and crew, which of the WWE big four pay-per-views have you been to, if any? I've been to three WrestleMania, oh, two, three WrestleManias. I've, oh, I've been to three, WrestleMania 21, Survivor Series 2017, and Royal Rumble 2018 Thoughts. I've only ever, phys- like, I've gone to a couple of live WWE events when they used to tour and do their house shows, but I've only ever been to one of the big majors. I went to a WrestleMania. Me, uh, Anne, and a couple of our friends, we drove down to San Francisco, and we were at the WrestleMania where, um, what's the guy's name? Um, I forget his name. Um... Who's the guy he's called Rollins, Seth Rollins, right? It was the WrestleMania where Brock Lesnar 
was fighting uh, Roman Reigns for the championship. And then at the end of that match, Seth Rollins ran into the ring to cash in his money in the bank contract and pinned one of the two. And Seth Rollins became the heavyweight champion. That was the one. Uh, That was the one I was at. I was at that one. And also that one, that was the one where Triple H had a match against Sting. Yeah, that was actually a really good WrestleMania, actually. Now that I think about it, that was a really good WrestleMania. Anyway, me and a bunch of my friends, me and Ann and a few friends, we drove down to San Francisco and went to that one. That's the only one I've ever been to. And we had a really good time. I'll tell you what, we had a really, really good time at that one, War Doctor. All right, Teddy D writes, uh, Hey, John, been a fan for years, but I just recently started donating. Well, thank you, Teddy. Appreciate both, man, for being here and for contributing to the show. I grew up in Buffalo. I used to drive into Buffalo all the time. It was just a stone throw away from my place, uh, which I considered a Canadian annex with a worse hockey team. I'm a big Canadian uh, Canadian rock fan, and I need your take. Hip, woo, or rush. I'm team uh, Gord Downey, RIP all day. I used to love the hip. Listen, there's something about Canadian citizenship that requires you there's something in the water or whatever something they inject you with when you're born on Canadian soil that you are genetically predisposed to loving the hip you gotta love the hip you gotta love tragically hip and they were amazing I am more of a rush guy though I gotta admit I'm, I'm more of a rush guy I think you know what it is it wasn't even you know, Alex is drumming, maybe the greatest drummer of all time. It, you know, Getty is a great bass player. I think Getty's underestimated as a bass player. But uh, anyway, yes, I will say, even though it goes, you know, against some common uh, wisdom, I'm going to say I'm more of a rush guy. I'm more of a rush. Although I loved the hip. I absolutely love the hip. Anyway, uh, let's see. Josh Bing writes. One of three. While I love Snyder's DC films, am I the only one who found it a little conceited that Snyder laid out a grand vision plan beyond Justice League? Nowhere does it show the studio had him locked in for films beyond that, and it seems a little insensitive to other filmmakers who would come along into the DCU and do their own take on these characters and solo films, event films, etc. Nothing wrong with planting seeds, but his ignoring DC's obvious agenda of world building seems full of hubris. Uh, In a 2011 interview, he even said that what I'm doing with Superman and what they'll do with Justice League will be its own thing and with its own Batman and Superman. They'll kind of get to do it twice, which is kind of cool. Seems like he was on a different page. Well, no, no, that's that's not a Zack Snyder issue. That's not a Zack Snyder issue. Zack Snyder was doing exactly um, what Warner Brothers basic philosophy at the time was. And I thought it was a dumb philosophy. I thought it was a dumb philosophy. Remember, Warner Brothers, whereas with Marvel, it was all supposed to be one very cohesive thing, right? All funneled through one creative mind, and that's Kevin Feige. Warner Brothers fancies itself more of a filmmaker studio, at least until they betrayed all of their filmmakers by announcing without consulting them that they were just going to throw their movies on HBO max, which pissed off the filmmakers. But aside from that, Warner brothers has kind of fancied itself as a filmmaker's studio, right? They just want to let, they just want to let all the filmmakers come in and make whatever movie they want. You just come on and you make your movie. It doesn't matter if it contradicts all the other ones. It doesn't matter if it doesn't fit with the other ones. Come on in and make your movie. And you know what? That's fine. That's fine. 
that can work. That can work perfectly well if you make movies that the audience and critics love. Like, I used to have this argument with people all the time. Like, people would say, Zack Snyder's movies are too dark. And I'd say, uh, they're no darker than the Dark Knight trilogy was. The, the, the problem wasn't the tone. There was nothing wrong with the tone. My, I contend there was never anything wrong with the tone of Zack Snyder's films. Uh, a lot of people would say, you know, when, oh, well, Marvel's working because it's a cohesive universe. No, 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 no. Because if the movies that they, they had coming out were just, you know, universally by audiences and critics really loved, it wouldn't be an issue about whether they had a cohesive universe or not. That wouldn't be an issue. It really wouldn't. As long as they were making movies that like were big hits with the audience and with the critics at the same time, it would have been fine. So Zack Snyder was doing exactly what a filmmaker should do. He was kind of handed by Warner Bros. saying, hey, make, make, give, tell us what you'd like to do with some movies. And he came up with a plan. It wasn't hubris on his point. Like the problem here, I think, Josh, the issue here is that you're looking at what was going on at D.C., through the lens of how Marvel was doing things. And if you're going to look at what was going on at DC through the lens of what Marvel was doing, then yeah, maybe it looks like, wow, Zack Snyder was doing things that could have contradicted other filmmakers. But if you take the Marvel thing out of it, you realize that's what Warner Brothers was trying to establish. Warner Brothers just wanted to let every filmmaker come in and just kind of do their own thing. Now, look, I don't think that Warner Brothers needed to do things the way Marvel was doing them. Not at all. But I do think there needed to be a Kevin Feige-like figure that at least kept it somewhat organized. Like, I think they went a little bit too far just saying, any director, come on in, you make any movie you want to make. You just, you make your movie the way you want to do it. You just go. I, I still think there should have been a little bit of oversight. And, um a little bit of um, of organization, just a little bit, still leave the directors their creative freedom. So no, the issue was not, uh, was not Zack Snyder. He was just working within the context and the framework that Warner Brothers had set up and he was just doing his thing. I, there, so no, the issue was not Zack Snyder. The issue there wasn't Jack, Zack Snyder. But I can see, once again, if you're looking at it through the prism of how Marvel did things, it can look like that. But the reality is that's that's not what it was. Anyway, good observation, though, Josh. Thanks for writing that in. All right. New, uh, Luke Newcomb writes, as opposed to Duke Newcomb, writes one of two. Hey there, John, and possibly Rob. Again, I'm, I'm flying solo today. Just want to say thanks for inspiring me to be passionate about my own channel based around miniature tabletop gaming. I love it. Me and my buddies used to play Warhammer. Uh uh, have either of you ever heard about uh, the hobby, Warhammer, etc.? Game, War, Games Workshop had a massive um, had a ma- massive financial rise and have started to fund several animated movies and now a live-action TV series based on Eisenhorn with showrunner Frank Spotnitz. Uh, I'm super excited to see where this goes. Warhammer fiction is a goldmine done right. Your thoughts? I don't know that Warhammer is a goldmine done right. Now, I used to have my, especially my buddy Rodney, uh, my buddy Rodney back in Canada uh, is the one who got me into any tabletop gaming I used to do. used to be with my, like, not including role-playing. When I say tabletop, I don't mean role-playing games like D&D or DC Heroes or Star Wars. Uh, but actual, you know, if you guys might have seen this, you set up, you get a big table, you set up a, a, a terrain, like, with you know, the carpet that was supposed to be grass and then you have buildings and models and you have your little figures and you use measuring sticks and all that kind of stuff. It was 
really fun. Had a good time playing Warhammer. Do I think it could appeal to a mass audience? I'm not convinced of that. Now, I'm not saying no. I'm not saying no. I'm just saying I'm not convinced that something like that um, would have a mass appeal to a lot of audience. Now, look, I know there's been a lot of Warhammer fiction. Like, I remember going into the bookstores. Yes, I still love going into bookstores. Uh, going into bookstores and saying, like, Warhammer novels of this, this and this. I, But, again, I don't know if that would have appeal to a, a mass-wide audience the way that a Marvel movie would or the way that a Star Wars movie would or a way that a, 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 a Wonder Woman movie would or something like that. You know what I'm saying? So I just don't know that would be there. So I don't know that I agree that it's a gold mine just waiting to be exploited. But I'm not going to lie to you. If they did something with Warhammer, like a live action, modestly budgeted thing, it, it would have my attention because I remember playing that stuff. It would get my attention. Anyway, thanks for that, Luke. Uh, next up, Jonathan writes, with the MCU owning almost everything, um, and they have their signature style to them, do you think they'll be the ones to bring about comic book fatigue? Remember, you either die a hero or live long enough to see yourself become the villain. Well, listen, here's the thing, Jonathan. Every year since 2010, I have dealt with the question, as everybody who does what I do for a living has dealt with the question of, is this the year the comic book movie fatigue sets in? I mean, we've been dealing that since 2010 right? Every year. This is the year that comic book movie fatigue is going to set in this year. Everybody's going to be tired of comic book movies this year. I mean, ever since 2010, every single freaking year. So, but, and it, but in, in reality, it is a fair question. And especially right now, it's a fair question because this year alone, we are scheduled to have like 10 MCU things come out. Four or five, nine or ten MCU things alone are supposed to come out. Like four movies, five or six series all this year. That's that's a lot. It is a lot. But my contention about comic book movie fatigue has always been and continues to be that people won't get tired of something as long as the quality stays high. As long as the quality stays high, do you know why the comic book movie genre died, you know, back in the uh, earlier 2000s? It wasn't because there was too many comic book movies. It's because, you know, Arnold Schwarzenegger's Batman movie was that bad. It was that bad. And there had been a number of bad films and it just kind of accumulate with uh, that was it that was like the last straw and then for a couple years you basically never heard anything about comic book movies for a few years and then x-men came out was it 99 that x-men came out then x-men came out and it revitalized it 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 allowed it it ushered in a new era of comic book movies you know 20 years ago when studios and producers could look at something and say, oh my God, you can do a comic book movie like that? Like tell really deep, rich narrative and really good human stories within a fantastical world of superheroes? You can do both? And it kind of reintroduced this whole notion of this. And listen, as long as movies keep coming out and get the, the audience reactions that, whether it's movies or miniseries, and keep getting the reactions that like a WandaVision's getting, Hell, even Superman and Lois is great. I just finally watched the newest episode of that. I, I keep waiting for Superman and Lois to shit the bed, and it just 
keeps delivering. No, fifth episode five. Just watch episode five. I just keep waiting. Okay, this is the week that it's going to shit the bed. This is the week they're going to blow it. But they just it just keeps being good. And that's the thing. As long as the majority, not all of them, but as long as the majority of the high-profile comic book materials that come out, whether it's Eternals or Flash or whatever, as long as the majority of the big comic properties that come out keep entertaining the audience and get big critical response and big audience responses, they're not going to get tired of it anytime soon. Now, the challenge will still be there for the producers of the stuff to keep varying it up, make it different. Don't just become a normal paint by numbers, but they keep doing that and it keeps working. So it's to me, I still believe that what will eventually lead to comic book fatigue is not the amount of comic book material. It's going to be when that comic book material, however much there is, starts to decline in quality overall. Once that happens, we start getting into danger territory of comic book fatigue. But right now, people still love it, and they're still putting out great stuff. So not anytime soon, my friend. Not anytime soon. All right, next up, we got Vanessa uh, G. Ramos, who writes, John, you keep asking about that chick, that chic black suit, and it's in the comics. You know that, silly. Well, yeah, I I bought that comic, and I don't even know if you would have been alive when I bought that comic. Anyway, uh, yes, I know it was in the comic, silly. Uh, the whole Death of Soup storyline depicts it. I wish he did wear it all the time, but as far as the red-blue, it's because our sexy American beast of a man. Well, I mean, listen, I... Well, they did it because it's in the comic. Well, yeah, you know what else was in the comics? You know what else is in the comics? Do you know why Lex Luthor doesn't like Superman? Hmm? Anybody want to take a guess? According to the comics, you want to know why Lex Luthor doesn't like Superman? Oh, wait, see if any of you guys know this. Know the answer to this question. Because this is in the comics. This is in the comics. Yep. Max Cohan got it. Max Cohan got it. Hair loss. Yeah, according to the comics... Uh, Clark Kent or uh, Superman and uh, Lex Luthor were actually buddies. But then something happened, an accident happened where Lex Luthor lost his hair and he blamed Superman for his male pattern baldness. And from that day on, Lex Luthor vowed vengeance on Superman. That's in the comics. Just letting you know, that's there. It's there in the comics. Just because something is in the comics does not mean um, it's something you should do on screen or makes it okay to be done on screen, right? Now, I get, look, 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 and by the way, I have no problem with the black suit. I think that suit looks great. The black Superman suit looks great. I'm not saying it looks bad or anything like it. Don't misinterpret me. I think it looks great. He does look like a sexy beast of a man. I mean, if I had to pick a bromance, it would probably be with Henry Cavill. That would be my bromance. Yeah, he looks great in the black suit. I'm just saying my one, and it was only a nitpick. It's just a nitpick. My nitpick about the black suit was there was no explanation given for why he bypassed the red and blue and went with the black. Now, I understand some people kept saying to me, well, it's because, John, you understand as a black suit, it will absorb more of the sun's energy, and that's how Superman gets his power. Yeah, okay, I, I get that, but if the suit actually 
did make him absorb the sun's energy more to make him more powerful. Why wouldn't he just wear that suit all the time? Uh, anyway, again, but it wasn't, it's not an important issue. It's just a nitpick. It's just a little thing that they probably should have, they, they should have said something in the movie to give us a, a basis for why he made the switch in the suit, but it's not a big deal. It's not a big deal. It really isn't. But yes, I do. I am aware that it was in the comics. I am very, very aware that it was in the comics. Anyway, next up. And I agree with you, Vanessa. He is in a, he's a sexy American beast of a man. I say that as a very you know, secure in my heterosexuality male, my boringly heterosexual maleness, that he is an American sexy beast of a man. Of that, I, I cannot argue with you. All right. John's Tiny TV writes, Warner Brothers is totally releasing all this Flash, Shazam, and Zatanna news to bury this. Oh, that is just so stupid. I'm not even going to read the rest of that. You got to be a special kind of dumb to actually believe that. Anyway, Ahmed writes, Hey, John. I love Zack Snyder's work with the DCEU. It connects uh, with my heart. Um, it, uh, it connects with my heart, soul, spirit, mind on a, a vibrational level. Why does his work create so much division in the superhero fan base? My mind can't comprehend how someone can't like or enjoy his work. Um, well, we we actually talked about this once. Now, let, you have to, of course, understand that you're talking to somebody who has really enjoyed his DC work, particularly Man of Steel, right? Particularly Man of Steel. Uh, you can just barely see, there you, you can see Henry right here uh, with the with America's abs. You, you can see Henry there. That's the only like movie paraphernalia I have here in the office on screen. Um, but yeah, his, his work doesn't resonate with everybody. You know, I, I can't, put out a tweet or a, a message on Instagram or say something on my show about how great man of steel is without me getting flooded with man of steel sucks. I'm, okay. And that's fair because it's all subjective. It hits people in different ways. Honestly, I, I said this once before we did a video once about why is Zack Snyder such a polarizing figure? And I think a lot of it has, some of it has to do with his style you know, his style just isn't for everybody. You know, his style works really well on some people like me, but his style is not for everybody. And th that's part of it, but that's true of every filmmaker. Every filmmaker will have some people that like their work, some people that don't. Why does Zack Snyder become so polarizing? Why does Zack Snyder become the lightning rod that like divides everybody? And I think a lot of it outside of stylistic issues, whatever, I honestly believe that it comes down to it's something that Zack Snyder had nothing to do with. And that is, you got to remember when Man of Steel and Batman versus Superman, and again, I can't prove this. This is just my, my hypothesis, okay? When Batman versus Superman uh, came out, and when, you know, around that time period, that was really at the height of the vitriol that was going on in the Marvel DC fanboy war, right? It seemed like everybody insisted you had to pick a side. You either had to be a blind corporate Marvel zombie slave, or you had to be a blind corporate DC zombie slave. You had to pick one. You had to be one. And at that period of time, it was like anything that got mentioned that was Marvel 
if you were in the blind corporate DC zombie fanboy camp, you had to instantly attack it and vice versa. And it was, I mean, it's still there today to a degree, but it's nowhere near as bad as it was five years ago. Five years, I mean, it, for those of you who were in these types of communities five years ago, you remember just how vitriol it was. I mean, it was really, really brutal. And Zack Snyder involuntarily, I think, kind of became the face of that um, of that war, right? You had your Marvel corporate zombie slaves and they were just like, DC sucks. Everything about DC. Look how much everything DC sucks. And because kind of Zack Snyder was kind of the face of what was going on at DC at the time, I think he kind of became that rallying point. Well, then he sucks because he's over at DC and everything that's DC sucks. So he can suck it. Mm, mm, DC sucks. And Zack Snyder is the face of DC. So everything about that sucks. Now, at the same time, at the same time, while if you were a Marvel corporate slave, you had to hate everything DC, it was also if you were a Marvel corporate slave, you had to absolutely love everything that was Marvel and the same with DC, right? If you were a DC corporate slave, you had to love everything about DC was perfect. And everything, if you were Marvel slave, everything about Marvel's perfect. So while you had all the Marvel corporate zombie slaves going, DC sucks and Snyder's the face, of, so Snyder sucks. You had DC fans who were like, no, 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 he's our guy. He's on the DC side. Everything about him is perfect and everything about him is awesome. And so here, here's Zack Snyder. He's just, dude, I'm just a storyteller. I'm a filmmaker. And I think he unwittingly kind of got put in the middle of this really moronic war between the DC and the Marvel corporate zombie slave fanboys. And he kind of became the, the visible representation of that. And I still think you're seeing a lot of that to this day. I still think you're seeing a lot of that to this day. And um, I mean, it's, again, it's nowhere near as bad as it used to be. It's nowhere near as bad as it used to be. But it's it's still there. And it's still bad. And there's still this absolutism, right? There's still this absolutism about it. Only Sith deals in absolutes. No, but, but seriously, there's there's this absolutism to it because you either completely love something or you completely hate it. There's no middle ground. We live in a society today, ladies and gentlemen, where everything is a 10, 10, 10, 10, 10, or it's a 0, 0, 0, 0, 0, 0. There's no such thing as anything in between. It's a perfect 10 or it's an absolute 0. You know, it's a perfect 10 or it's an absolute 0. So some people will hear me talk about Man of Steel and they're just like, oh, you're just a Zack Snyder apologist. You, even though he makes bad movies, you just, Zack no, I just happen to like these movies. I'm not a Zack Snyder apologist. I'll tell you that I think Sucker Punch is a bad movie. It's his only bad movie, in my opinion. But I'll tell you that. So, yeah, I like Batman versus Superman. I like Man of Steel. I love 300. I mean, there's a lot of stuff that he's done that I just really like. But I'm no Zack Snyder apologist. But then some people on the other side is, you weren't interested in a Snyder cut, so you hate Zack Snyder. No, I do not. Ha- I I actually am a big fan of Zack Snyder. Anyway, but there's there's still remnants of that absolutism, right? There's that absolutism that's still there. Again, it's not nearly as vitriol or as toxic as it used to be five years ago. But anyway, getting back to the to the uh, question then, uh, Ahmed, is that I think 
again, all film is subjective and you and I just have to, and all of us just have to accept that we can love a movie, whether say it's man of steel, we can love a movie and just be okay with that. There are other people who don't like, I have a lot of people that tell me all this time, John star Wars sucks. I'm like, Oh, well I, I wish you loved it. Cause I loved it, but you don't. And that's okay. That's okay if you think Star Wars sucks. I think you're a little bit crazy, but that's okay. And that's the thing I meant. You just got to be okay with it and understand there's probably stuff that other people love that you hate. And then they probably look at you and say, how do you not love this thing, dude? Right? That's just part of being a film fan. Anyway, let's move on. Next up. Jared's Reviews writes, um, where are we at? There it is. One of three. Hey, John. Hopefully I get this question and when Aaron is still there. Of course, Aaron did not, was not uh, in. She's not going to be in on Thursday. She's going to be on Fridays from now on, at least for the next couple of months, except for today, because something kind of big came up for her that we can't talk about yet. And we'll hopefully, hopefully, fingers crossed, we may never be able to tell you about it, but fingers crossed that maybe we will be able to soon. Anyway, um, but when I was growing up, my family couldn't afford to go to the movies, but we had cable TV and would watch movies what uh, the movies that were on cable. Do you know whose movies were always playing? Uh, Will Smith's. It's true. Uh, he is my all-time favorite actor because not only did I enjoy his movies, I, Robot, Hitch, etc., but as a kid, I felt I could always count on his movies to cheer me up and entertain me, not to mention he is a multi-level actor. Uh, with drama, action, comedy, rap, he can do it all. Uh, that's why he is my all-time favorite actor. Now for the question. Aaron, what was it like to work with Will Smith on the set of King Richard? Well, unfortunately... You know, Aaron is not here today, but I can tell you this. So Aaron Cummings, who is normally on the show on Thursday, she's going to be on the, for the next number of Fridays. Uh, Aaron just recently completed shooting a movie called King Richard. That is about um, um, uh, Serena Williams's dad, Venus and Serena Williams's dad. Um, their dad's name is Richard. And it's a movie about him and Will Smith is playing Richard. So the movie's called King Richard. And right before the pandemic hit, Aaron got cast in that movie. And literally, I think it was like two days before she was supposed to go in and start shooting her stuff with Will Smith. The, the production got shut down because of COVID. And so she had to wait like nine months to go in. But she recently finished shooting her stuff for it. She doesn't have a huge role. She has a relatively small role in the movie, but she did get to act with Will Smith in it. Um, and I can tell you this. I I can't remember the last time I saw her that excited about a role she was getting ready to go and do. I, I can't I can't tell you the last time I saw her that excited about that. Um, and she loves all the stuff that she does. She was very excited about her role in The Flash, and that was great. But getting to work with Will Smith was a pretty big deal for her, and she was very, very excited about it. So hopefully soon we can just have her on. She can talk about that experience herself, Jared. And I, yeah, I, I really do like... I really do like Will Smith. I really do. The dude has got charisma for days. He, he's made some questionable pro professional decisions, but as as a pure on-camera talent, he's he's money. To me, he's absolute money. Anyway, next up. Uh, Jared's Review also writes, just wanted to add a question for you, John. If Aaron isn't there, which he's not, uh, what is your favorite Will Smith movie? Oh, that's a good question. I think I know what it is. Mine is probably The Pursuit of Happiness. He's very, very good. That's a great movie. That is a great movie. Uh, his worst, in my opinion, is Collateral Beauty. You know what? I actually like Collateral Beauty. I, it has its problems. I, 
I still kind of like Collateral Beauty. Anyway, horrible movie, but great performance with tearjerker uh, ending scene. Probably my favorite Will Smith movie is probably Ali, which I believe, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe that is um, the movie that he got his Academy Award nomination for. He might have two Academy Award nominations. Well, I know he has at least one. He has at least one Academy Award nomination, and I know he got one for Ali. And I and so I I thought he was really, really great in Ali. Um, so yeah, there's that. Ali, my friends, Ali. All right, next up, we've got Charles Richardson who writes, with Warner Brothers abandoning day and date releases with their HBO Max, will it hurt the streaming service um, as there's no big features to draw audiences anymore? No, it's not going to hurt the streaming service at all. Remember, HBO Max's strategy never was about, um, we're going to take all of Warner Brothers movies and just put them on day and date release. on this. That was never the strategy. You know, that's not how HBO, forget not HBO Max, HBO. That's not how HBO became the standard name in, in like in television excellence. Wasn't by dropping original movies on there that were supposed to be in theaters, right? So no, HBO Max is going to grow because HBO knows how to make incredible programming. I still listen. Netflix has put out some magnificent television series, some of the best, but to me the gold standard of putting out the highest innovation and quality TV programming is still HBO. It's it, And to me, it's, it's not even relatively close. Like HBO to me is the gold standard. And if they just continue being HBO as HBO Max, they'll be fine. I, I really do believe... Uh, that they will ultimately be completely fine. All right, next up, we've got Preston the Kryptonian who writes, John, did you hear about uh, Houston? Oh, yes, 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 I did. Houston Tumlin passing away. He was a child actor that was uh, one of Ricky Bobby's sons in Talladega Nights. He was only 28 years old. Wow, such a tragedy. I did hear about this. Yeah. Um, so for those of you who didn't know, I think it was Walker. You know, remember he... Um, Ricky Bobby had two sons. He had Walker and he had Texas Ranger. And I believe it was the kid who played Walker. I think it's the one who played Walker. Um, is now 20, first of all, is 28 years old. That that's that's huge in and of itself. <laughs> that's completely huge in and of itself. That that dude was 28 years old. That makes you feel a little bit old. That little kid from Talladega Nights is now 28 years old. Um, but he uh, just, I believe now, correct me if I'm wrong, live chat, correct me if I'm wrong about this, but I believe he committed suicide and, um, which is, I, I, it's always horrible, horrible to hear, horrible to hear. Now I never followed the career of, of this dude. Uh, but apparently I don't think he really did anything else outside of, um, outside of Talladega nights. I think Talladega nights, was the last thing that he did. Again, I could be wrong about that, but I think Talladega Nights was probably the last thing that he did. Um, so, yeah. Um, hold on a second. Just going to look at something here. Just double-checking something. Um, anyway. Uh, yeah, so there's that, and it's always it's an absolute tragedy. It was so sad to hear about that, and uh, our condolences, of course, to those who knew 
and loved him. All right, next up, we've got Preston the Kryptonian uh, who writes, John, did you, oh, sorry, that was Preston Kryptonian. Sorry about that. Charles Richardson writes, Shoot, I forgot what I wrote last, but I meant to say Warner Brothers abandoning their day and date. Uh, I think it could hurt HBO Max, but it could help theaters plenty. Again, I don't think it's going to hurt HBO Max because that was never HBO Max's actual strategy, right? HBO Max is going to grow because they make great content. And hopefully they'll do a better job at marketing that content than say... Netflix does promoting and growing their own content, which, you know, they don't do a great job of that. So, uh, but I do think they're going to be okay. I think they will be completely okay. All right. Next up. And last question of the day comes to us from, uh, McLovin who writes, Hey, John, uh, was Falcon, uh, taking computer classes during the blip? Because if he wasn't, why is he tinkering with his gear? He's not a tech engineer, mechanical pilot, or computer anything. So he shouldn't be messing with a uh, highly advanced Stark tech. Uh, he's so not qualified. Well, I mean, yes and no. Yes and no. Um, I think if you are a pilot, like you guys can correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe I read that like an airline pilot will himself do a final inspection of the plane. Like an airline pilot is not a super advanced technical electrical engineer, but an airline pilot is trained well enough in the, the aircraft that they fly, that they understand what is supposed to be there and what's not supposed to be there and all that kind of stuff. Now, for all we know, the repairs that, Sam was doing, if you're going to be, you know, a top flight pilot of this gear, you should at least be familiar with the gear. And for all we know, the repairs and everything that Sam was doing wasn't super advanced repairs. It may have been just very, very basic. Oh, these things got disconnected, just going to solder them back together. It could have been very, very basic repairs, right? So it's not necessarily something that might have been too far outside of the stretch of imagination of what he could do or, or why he was doing it. So I think that was probably all okay. So I don't, I didn't, I didn't think that was a problem. I personally did not find that to be a problem myself. I thought that was all okay. So yeah, there you go. All right, guys, listen, I think that does it for now. I think we're going to cut today's show uh, a little bit short here. I know there are a lot more questions to go. Don't worry, guys. We're going to do a companion video this weekend to get all caught up on that stuff. But we do have a Falcon and Winter Soldier open spoiler discussion today at 3 p.m. Los Angeles time. So you guys can figure out whatever time zone you're in, what that means for you. For the New York East Coast area, that means 6 p.m. For those of us on the West Coast, that's 3 p.m. And you guys can figure out whatever your time zone is for that. So I hope you guys will come back as we discuss Falcon and Winter Soldier, Episode 2, in an open spoiler discussion. I hope you guys join us. All right, guys. That will do it for me today. Don't forget to do the four main things, my friends. Stay smart, stay safe, take care of yourselves, and please take care of the people around you. That'll do it for me for now, guys. My name's John Campia, and until next time, my friends, bye-bye.